Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to, to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and to Cilia. I, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judah, of Judah that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went again up to Jerusalem this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some of the false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favouritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognised that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All, that, all they asked was that we continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I had been eager to do all along. May God bless that reading. Lord God, speak through me now for the benefit of your people. 
And if what I say that is good and true and helpful, plant it deep within our hearts so that we might be changed by your word. And if anything I say is untrue or unhelpful, help us quickly forget and show us what is right. Lord, speak to us now and may we be changed as you speak, working us by your spirit so that we may be your people. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Move this out of my face a little bit. I want to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, Normally what I do when I preach, uh, I try to make the message of my sermon the the same as the message of the passage that we're reading. And so I try hard to understand why God has given us this particular passage and what the human author was trying to communicate when they wrote. And I try to make that message, the message for you. I try and take that message and apply it to us today. And that's really important that I do that, uh, because you don't want to hear my thoughts and opinions. You're not here to learn from me. You're here to meet with God. You want to hear what he has to say to you. And so we try really hard in this church to let our teaching be from God's word. We want to hear what he thinks, what he has promised, what he is doing. We want to know him. Now, this week, I'm stepping out of that pattern. Now, don't freak out. I'm still preaching this passage. Uh, But the point of this sermon comes from this passage, but it is not the reason that this passage is in our Bibles. Let me explain. The reason Paul wrote this passage The reason we have this extended story about Paul's life in this letter to the Galatians is so that the Galatians can know that the gospel is the true gospel, that the one they have, the the message they have heard from Paul is true. Remember, we heard last week that there were people in the churches in Galatia who were preaching a different gospel. They were teaching that in order to be right with God, you needed to trust in Jesus and obey the Old Testament Jewish law. And Paul says, no, that is not the gospel. You'll never be able to do enough to earn God's favour. You'll never be able to do enough good works. No amount of law-keeping will make you right with God. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus did it for you. You need faith in Jesus and nothing else. But we get the idea here that these Jewish teachers are trying to discredit Paul and trying to make the Galatians think that he's not worth listening to. They're trying to destroy his reputation. And so they're saying things like, who is this Paul guy anyway? He's not one of the original apostles. He just just made himself an apostle. They're saying things like, don't listen to him. He just made up his own message. And so in this letter to the Galatians, Paul tries to set things straight. He shares with them the real story. He tries to explain how the gospel that he preached is the true gospel. And in the text that we just read, he begins by explaining that his message came directly from Jesus. He didn't make it up. He didn't hear it from other humans. He wasn't taught it. He received it independently of the other apostles. And then he went around preaching this gospel for 14 years 
before eventually he went up to Jerusalem, met with the other apostles, and this is the really big evidence, he shared his message with the Jerusalem apostles and they did not try to change it. They didn't, there was nothing wrong with what he was saying. They didn't add anything, they didn't change anything. The message that he preached was the same as the message that they preached. Thus proving that his message was the true gospel. Now that is why Paul has written this passage. He wants the Galatians to know that what they have heard from him isn't some human tradition, it's not something he's made up, it is the same gospel that all the apostles were teaching. That's the message of the text and this passage is here to show us that the gospel that Paul preached is true. We can, re- we can trust it. It's been verified. It's authentic. But I want to do something a bit different this morning. Because it is important that you know that Paul's teaching can be trusted. That is it's vital. You need to be able to read your Bibles and know that what Paul says is consistent with what the other apostles say. And it's consistent with what Jesus says. Because there are people who try and divide them. There's people that say, oh, Paul said this, and oh, James, he says something completely different. Or Jesus says something completely different again, and they try and divide them, and you kind of pick which one you like. Don't do that. Don't buy that for a second. It's absolutely false. All of the biblical authors, all of the Bible fits together in perfect harmony. But, you see, it's one thing to know that the gospel is true. It's a vital thing. In fact, there's nothing more important in the world than to know that the gospel is true. But, knowing is not enough. My atheist boss in Wollongong knew the gospel. He knew it really well. Didn't help him one bit. He hated it. Satan knows the gospel. Clearly, knowing the gospel is not enough. What you need, if you want to be saved, if you want to be right with God, if you want your knowledge of the gospel to have any impact in your life, what you need is to have the gospel enter into you and have its power change you. It's not enough to know the gospel. You need to have your life turned upside down by the And this passage shows us really clearly what that looks like. So how do you know that you've you've got the gospel? How do you know whether the body of information that is in your head is of any benefit to you? Well, this passage gives us a whole bunch of reasons. I'm going to focus just on two. Two marks of true disciples. Two signs that the gospel has actually at work in your life. And the first way that you can know that the gospel has made any real impact in your life is that you will recognise God's hand at work in your life. Now, Galatians 1, Paul gives us a really brief account of his conversion. Now, this is a story that you can read about in Acts, but he, he kind of condenses it, he He doesn't really mention any of the details that we hear about in Acts. There's no Damascus Road, there's no blinding light. But what he does do is give us a really clear difference between the before and the after. He says, this is what I was, this is what I am now. And the contrast is is striking. 
We get the before picture in verse 13. If you've got your Bibles there, open them up. Verse 13 of chapter 1. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. You see, before his conversion, Paul was a go-getter. He was zealous. He was driven. He was on a mission for God. And the way that he thought best to do that was to eradicate Christianity. And so Paul went around from house to house, dragging Christians into prison. He went above and beyond in his service of the cause. And we can't set aside the fact Paul thought he was pleasing God. Remember, he was was passionate about pleasing God. In fact, his, his passion for God puts us to shame, I think. He worked hard, he studied hard, and he did it all for God. But then in verse 15, we get the change, the after image. And notice immediately, Paul stops talking about himself. Before, it was all about what he had done. He says, I was advancing, I was zealous, I was persecuting the church. But do you see who's the active player now from verse 15? It's it's God. He says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, but when God was pleased to reveal his son in me. You see, before his conversion, Paul was trying to please God with his works and Boy, did he work. But do you see, at the moment of his conversion, everything changes. He realized that his good works are not enough. He can't be right with God by doing good things for God. He needs God to do something for him. Have you ever seen, uh, you get them online a lot, uh, ads for, you know, miracle weight loss pills or, you know, some super secret training regime they're trying to sell you. And they'll have, you know, the before and after picture of the person who has apparently taken these miracle weight loss pills or done this regime. And the transformation is is mind-blowing, right? You have the the first person, you know, very overweight, looking very sad, and then you've got the super trim, toned athlete... But when you look closely, and you get this on the online ones, the dodgy ones, you look closely and you realise that this person's not only lost 100 kilos, but they've also lost a tattoo. And they've got different colour eyes. <laughs> How does that... That's a miracle. No, no, really what's happened is they've got two separate photos of two different people. That's what it's like for Paul. But he's not a scam, it's not... It's not dodgy, but before, it was all about Paul and what he was doing. He was trying to please God. He was at work. But after, it's as if there's a, there's a completely different person in the picture. Because it's God. It's, it's not Paul anymore. It's God working in Paul and for Paul. And friends, that's the same for us. If you want to know whether the gospel has impacted your life, ask yourself this. Who is the driving force in your spiritual life? Where do you get your energy from to live for God? Who is making you grow? 
Because religion will teach you that it's all about you. Religion will make you try to find God, try to please God, try to pray more, try to be more disciplined, try to grow your own faith. Religion will make you worry about whether you are good enough for God. Or it'll tell you that you're so much better than everyone else and that, of course, God will accept you. But you see, it'll make it all about you and what you have done. But the moment that you know the gospel of grace has entered into your life is the moment that you realize it was never about you at all. If your story is about all the things that you have done for God, then, friend, you don't know the gospel You you know religion, but you don't know the gospel. Because when the power of the gospel is at work in you, it will make you realize, like Paul did, that it was only God that could save you. It was only because God chose to love you. Only because God chose to reveal himself to you. Only because God was pleased to welcome a sinner like you into his arms. The gospel teaches us to let go of ourselves and to trust in God. And the more that this gospel is at work in your life, the more you'll start to see that it was always God working in you. Notice in verse 15, Paul came to see how God had set him apart. When? Was it on the Damascus Road? No, no, he says God had set him apart from his mother's womb. Of course, he came to realize that God had chosen him before the beginning of time, but he also realized that his whole life was actually leading up until this moment where he was met by Jesus. He came to see that everything that happened before his conversion was actually still being used by God in his plan for Paul. He came to see that every moment of his Jewish upbringing, God would then use as Paul the Apostle. He came to see that even his persecution of the church, God used for his good purposes. You see, the the more that the gospel grips us, the more our eyes are open to see that God is sovereign over every single little bit of our lives and that he is using our lives for his good purposes and that he's using our lives for our benefit and friends he's doing that in you every little bit of your story God has authored he's the one who's been working in your life from the moment you were born working all things for your good working all things so that you would come to know him And when the gospel's alive in you, you'll realize that it was never you. It was always him. Now, that's the first thing. The second way to know that you've really got the gospel, that the gospel is at work in your life, is that Christ is revealed in you. Now, that's the words Paul uses in verse 16. He says, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. Now, if that sounds a little bit funny, it it should. Because you'd expect Paul to say, God was pleased to reveal his son to me. That's kind of how you would typically 
talk about that. And in fact, Paul could have said that. And there's elsewhere in the Bible where he, he does say words to that effect. But here he uses the word in. And he does that really deliberately because it shows us something about how the gospel works in our lives. Because essentially what Paul is saying here is that God was pleased to reveal Jesus to him so that other people might see Jesus in him. That they might see the difference that knowing Jesus makes. That they might see a transformation. Because the way to know that you've really got the gospel is that God hasn't just revealed Jesus to you so that you see Jesus and that you believe in Jesus. No, the way to know that you've really got the gospel is that knowing Jesus has made such a difference in your life that when people who know you best look at you, they see Jesus at work. They see Jesus flipping your priorities. They see Jesus changing the way that you talk and treat others. They see Jesus casting aside things that you were never able to let go of before and now are able to. And so if you want to know if you've really taken hold of the gospel, look for the change. Are you different because you know the gospel? Can you see that difference? Can other people see that difference? Now, don't get the wrong idea here. We shouldn't expect that at the moment we meet Jesus, there is a complete instantaneous turnaround, that we stop sinning and that we are only ever devoted perfectly to Jesus from that moment on. That is not the transformation that the gospel offers you. Being transformed by the gospel, it'll take a lifetime. Overcoming sin in your life will be slow and it will be painful. But what people should be able to see in your life very quickly is at least a desire to change. You might sin just as frequently as you did before you met Jesus. But the difference that people should see is a, a hatred of that sin. That when you sin, you seek forgiveness, you apologize. That when you sin, you, you express your own disgust of your own behavior. I've got a friend who's a church pastor and he was telling me about a guy in his church named Bruce. Now, every Sunday after church, Bruce would go to the morning tea table and he would, he would just start stuffing his face with food. And in between mouthfuls, he'd go around telling anyone that would listen how much he effing loves Jesus. Now, you might look at someone like that and think, if you really love Jesus, you wouldn't talk like that. But it's when you found out what this man was before that you see that even this is a miraculous transformation. Because up until a few months earlier, Bruce was the town drunk who would spend his days standing out on the street screaming obscenities at anyone who would dare to walk by. And then one day a Christian invited Bruce to church and Bruce met Jesus. Now, does Bruce still have a long way to go? Absolutely. But everyone who knows him sees a difference. Even though he's in church 
still swearing about how much he loves Jesus, people can see the change. Bruce has been changed because they see Jesus working in him. And friends, the gospel isn't just some information that you know. It it is information that you need to know. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. Christianity is not a matter of learning some facts about Jesus and about his death and about his resurrection. Friends, the gospel is God's power at work in you. And it's a power that will change you from the inside out. And that change should be noticeable. Now, you might not see the difference day to day, but look back at your life. Look over months, look over years. Ask those who know you best. It'll change you to want to please God, not people, like it does for Paul in verse 10. It'll change you so that you feel joy and praise God when you see God working in other Christians like it did for the Judean Christians in chapter 1, verse 24. It'll change you so that you welcome people who are different to you, just like the Jerusalem apostles welcomed Paul and Titus in chapter 2. It'll change you so that you become eager to care for the poor like Paul was in chapter 2, verse 10. And it'll change you in countless other ways. It'll change what you love. It'll change what you hate. It will change your priorities. It will change what you do with your time, what you do with your money. It will change so much about you. My friends, when the power of the gospel enters your life, it will change your life. And so the question for you is, have you got it? Is that power at work in you? Have you experienced that change? Have you come to recognize that the only way for you to be right with God is for God to come to you? Has Christ been revealed in you so that your heart has been broken by the awareness of how sinful you really are, but that your heart has been restored in the knowledge that every bit of your sinfulness is wiped away by Jesus? Have your lives been changed by the gospel? Now, friends, if it has, praise God for that. And you can, you can rest in that. You have this, this freedom, this liberating feeling that you do not need to earn God's love. You, you couldn't earn God's love, but because God loved you, because he chose you, because he was pleased to reveal Christ in you, you are safe forever. Rejoice in that, friends. That is so good. But friends, if if that's not you, and and I'm sure there are some of you here this morning that know the gospel in your head, and maybe you've known the gospel for your entire life, but you've never experienced this change. There are others of you here who are still trying to earn your way into God's good books. And you get caught up in the pride at your own moral successes and you get caught up in the guilt of your own moral failures. And friends, if that's you, I want you to see what God is offering you in the gospel. He's offering you transformation. He's offering you a new and changed life. And it's a new and changed life that will go on forever. 
He is offering that to you and he's not asking you to do something. He's saying, I've done it for you. And friend, all you need to do is take hold of that. Ask God to open your eyes to that. Ask God that you would receive the gospel and that his power would be at work in you. Jesus says in John 6 that he will never drive away those who come to him. And so, friend, I invite you to come to Jesus today. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that God would help us all cling to that gospel, to keep trusting in that gospel. Uh, If this is you for the first time asking God to do that, don't, don't go home and just pretend that nothing happened there. Tell someone about that. Come talk to me. I'll hang around here after. Um, tell, tell someone. This is good news. And so let's pray. Our Lord God, we praise you for the gospel. We are so grateful that you, in your love and your kindness, were pleased to choose people to belong to you. And not because of anything that you saw in them that was good, not because of anything that they had done or would do, but because you were pleased to send your son as a substitute to die the death that we should have died, to live the life that we should have lived, to provide forgiveness for sins and the hope of the resurrection. Lord, we praise you for this gospel and we praise you that you have been pleased to reveal yourself to us. That we can know you and not just know about you, but that you have been at work in our lives, that you have transformed us, that you have changed us, that you are making us more and more like Jesus and we praise you for that. We know that doesn't come from us, that comes from you. But Father, there are some of us here who have not yet experienced this change. And Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts. That you would help them to not just know the gospel, but to be changed by it. To see that it is the way to life. It is the way to hope. It is the way to enjoy you forever. And so, Lord, give them an awareness of their sin. Give them the comfort and the knowledge that Jesus has washed it away at the cross. And that if we trust in you, we will enjoy life with you forever. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us cling to this gospel, to stick to this gospel, to never seek to add to it or take away from it, because we know that it is by the gospel that we are saved and that we are yours. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.